Oh, for faith that will not shrink. Though pressed by every foe, they will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe. They will not murmur or complain beneath the chastening rod. But in the hour of grief or pain, we'll lean upon its God. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempests rage without. That when in darkness knows no fear That when in danger, knows no fear. In darkness, feels no doubt. Lord, give us such a faith as this. And then whatever may come, we'll taste, even here, the bliss of our hallowed home. Mm. What Christian does not want a deeper, stronger, more mature faith? What Christian possibly does not want a deeper, stronger, more mature faith, an enduring faith, a faith that will provide peace in the worst of problems, calm in the midst of chaos, and the strength to endure and to overcome even the most devastating storms and trials of this life. Let me ask that question another way. If you would not like a deeper, stronger, more mature faith, please stand up. Nobody's standing. Hopefully nobody's standing at home either. I can't see you, but hopefully nobody's standing. Every Christian wants a deeper, more mature faith, right? So the question is, how do we get one? If we all want one, we better know how to get it, right? We better understand the process. Okay? We all understand, Romans 10 and verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are very familiar with that text. We understand that that's where our faith comes from. That's why it's so important that every opportunity we have to, uh, to worship together, to assemble together, either in person or via live stream, every opportunity that we have to do that, be it Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever, or to assemble for Bible study, to, to get into God's word, that that's where we acquire our faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and so we need to hear more of it. And although, the, this is the question though, although the more of the word we learn, the more faith we acquire, based on Romans 10, 17, that still does not explain the process by which that raw and unrefined faith 
is then defined and developed, shaped and strengthened and molded and matured. But the Word of God uses a couple of concepts or words in particular to define that process. Yes, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And that's our, our raw faith. But, but, but how, what's the process by which it is molded by God and shaped and strengthened and defined and developed and, and becomes this faith that will not shrink? Word of God uses a couple of words or concepts, as I said, in particular to define this divine process which we all must undergo if our raw, untested, unrefined, and unprocessed faith, again, is going to be turned into that strong, unflinching faith that God wants to develop in each one of us because that's the kind of faith it's going to take to take us all the way home to heaven. Those two words are, or concepts are these. Refine and purify. And both of those have to do with what we have to go through as our faith is strengthened and purified both by and under fire. Have you ever stopped to think about or consider how often the Bible uses the analogy, uses the illustration of putting our faith under fire, as it were, in order for God to make and shape and mold us into all he wants us to be? Have you ever stopped to think about how many times that concept, that process, those types of words are used? Have you ever noticed how some of those in the Bible, those characters that we consider to be amongst the strongest and most faithful people in the Bible were not considered that way simply because of what they knew, but because of what they knew and what they had to go through? Think about that. Really think about that. It wasn't just simply what they knew. It was the process that they had to go through as their faith was being formed, as it was being strengthened, as it was being forged and fortified in the fiery furnace of affliction. Please open your Bibles with me to Luke 22. I want us to notice a whole bunch of places here and folks whose faith was forged in fire. The Apostle Peter, for example, in Luke chapter 22. Follow along with me, please, in verse 31. You know, we consider P Peter preached the first gospel sermon, preached the first gospel sermon to, to the Gentiles. The Apostle Peter, one of the, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Peter that wrote two epistles. Peter, Peter, Peter. Well, I'll tell you what. Peter was put through the fire. Luke 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter said to the Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, 
The rooster won't crow this day before you deny him three times that you even know me. And, and we know that story. We know what happened. The apostle Peter's faith, even his, was about to be put to the test. He was to, about to be put through the ringer. He was about to be put through the fire, as it were. But I want you to look at what he would later write after his faith had matured as a result of going through that fire. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. As an older man who'd been through the fire more than that once, look what he would write about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it talks about this awesome, incredible inheritance that we have in heaven, thanks to Jesus. But then verse 6 says, Peter writes, the same, that same Peter later writes, in this you greatly rejoice. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in our inheritance. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, as we back up through these verses, a faith which will eventually result in the salvation of our souls, verse 9, has to be strong, brethren, and therefore it needs to be strengthened. God's divine process for accomplishing that is to put it through the fire, verse 7, like gold, which is a lot less valuable. God's purpose, therefore, for allowing us to go through various trials, verse 6, is exactly that. Puts us through the fire to strengthen our faith so that we will receive the salvation of our souls. To make our faith strong enough, tempered enough, to refine it enough, to mold it enough, to shape it enough so that it can carry us all the way to heaven. As we learn to trust God in all circumstances, Listen, God does not allow us, I, I know, I, I know, I know you, I know humans, I know my own issues, I know, I know. I know we all struggle. But the thing we gotta understand sometimes that we, we kinda get a little, little blurred up here in our minds because Satan is always at work. The thing that we have got to understand is that God does not allow us to go through the various trials and problems that we do because he's trying to somehow frustrate or aggravate or provoke us. Do you remember what he told earthly fathers? He told earthly fathers not to provoke their children to wrath in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 3. And so certainly he, as our perfect heavenly father, is not going to do that either, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. If you know how to give good gifts to your children and, and you're just, you know, human... How much more do you think God's going to give you? The point is God's a much better father than any of us fathers will ever be. 
And if he's telling fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, God's not allowing us to get through these things just to make us miserable or frustrate us. That's not his purpose at all. Nor does God allow us to go through all of the various fiery trials that we do because he cannot erase or eradicate them instantly. Listen, nothing is too difficult for God. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27. Do you understand that if God chose to, he could immediately eradicate every disease on the planet. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? This means yes, but do you understand that? Okay. Well, if he loves us as much as he claims, and he does, he showed us that. And he's got that kind of power, which he showed us in the creation, he does. Why all the problems? There's got to be a purpose. And indeed, scripture says there is. Yep, there is. It is to put our faith through the fire so that we will learn not to rely on ourselves but on God. And as we do that, it strengthens our faith and it, it makes our faith stronger and it's able to carry us further toward our ultimate goal of heaven. Every single trial we experience in our earthly lives has a divine purpose in God's heavenly plan behind it. Listen, here it is. These problems are the means by which God matures our faith. These are the forces by which he forges and fortifies our faith. Your struggles this morning are amongst the situations through which God shapes and strengthens and stretches and solidifies our faith. That's what they are. God's saying, bring, didn't Jesus say to bring all of our problems to him and lay them on him, didn't he? Didn't he say if you did, you'd find rest? Is that, is that in the Bible? About Matthew 11 and 27 or so? God allows you to have problems so that you will understand how much you need him. And as you understand that, and as you put those problems in his hands, your faith grows as you watch God work those out. That's the purpose, brethren. Look with me in 1 Peter 4. And, and the thing is, I want us to understand, this is nothing new. This is, not, this is not some new thing. Verse 12. Peter again. Beloved, do not think it strange. This was written nearly 2,000 years ago. Concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He said, this is nothing new. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Did Jesus trust God through everything? Did he? And God took him home to heaven. He's at the right hand of God interceding. And we need to follow that example of trusting God given it all to him. But again, this concept is nothing new. God has always used the fiery furnace of affliction to purify, to refine, to mold and mature and to shape and to strengthen the faith of his children. He has. Let me give you a multitude of examples. Most of them we'll just list. Some of them we'll go to. Very early on in the scriptures, God established this 
strengthening, or uh, not strengthening, God established this cleansing by fire technique. In Numbers chapter 31, verses 21 through 23, Eleazar the priest told the men of war who had gone to battle against the Midianites this. He said, this is the ordinance of the law which the law Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire and it'll be clean. God said there's some things that can handle the fire and they need, to, they need to be put through the fire in order to be cleansed. You know what verse in the New Testament came to mind when I read that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape in order that you might endure it. You know why that verse came to mind? Because God knows exactly how much fire anything can handle from the tin to the gold to the silver. Yeah, cleanse those because they can handle the fire. But God knows exactly to the nth degree how much fire you and I can handle. And he's going to use that to temper us and to strengthen us. God knows with us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just like he knew with these elements what they can handle and what they can't. Turn to me in your Bibles for another example. Psalm 66. Please turn there. As I said, some of these I'll just mention, if you're taking notes, they're beautiful texts to strengthen and reinforce our faith. Some of them I want us to turn to. This is one of them again, Psalm 66. Notice how I keep it on a talking to give you time to turn there. Please turn there. Soak these words up. If you're struggling with something this morning, soak these words up. God is trying to say to you, hey, he's trying to get your attention. Hey, 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 hey. Look at this the way I'm using it, not the way Satan is trying to tell you to look at it. God is trying to get your, your attention too and say, look at this through my eyes. Understand what I'm doing here. Psalm 66, verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Did you understand that? Yes, God, you put us through the fire and you brought us through the fire and we're stronger now than we were when we went in. Do you see that? There's the process. You brought us out to rich fulfillment. Anybody remember the man named Job? Psalm 66, 10 through 12. Couple just to note as we continue on without turning there. King Solomon said in Proverbs 17 in verse 3, a crucible for silver and a furnace for gold, but the Lord is the tester of hearts. What's he saying? Fire is what purifies silver and gold, but God's going to purify your heart with the same thing. You're going to have to go through the fire. That's what strengthens you. Jeremiah 
I'm sorry, Sol King Solomon again in Proverbs 25 and verse 4. Remove the dross from the silver, and a vessel for a silversmith will come forth. He said, make silver pure, and something will come forth that is usable. When God gets rid of the dross, we sing about dross a lot in songs, it's just a waste waste elements that are, that are no good, that, that make silver and gold weak. It's, it's, it's getting the garbage out is what it's doing. The cheap stuff, the stuff that don't amount to anything. That's exactly what, what it's talking about, King Solomon in Proverbs 25.4. Jeremiah said that God will refine his people in Jeremiah 9.7. While Isaiah quotes God in Isaiah 48.10 is saying, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. There it is. You want it? One, one verse, Isaiah 48.10. There it is. It's what God does to his people. He refines us not like silver. We don't get through a physical fire. We're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we go through the furnace of affliction. That's God's process. Do you, do you see as we go through these how many times we see this concept in the scripture over and over? This is nothing new. Daniel gets in on it. Daniel alludes to God's purification by fire process in two prophetic passages in Daniel 11.35 and 12.10, which respectively say, and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end. And then Daniel 12.10, many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Brethren, are we wise? What I talked about a few weeks ago, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, making the most of the days. We are to, we are, we are to understand and be wise, understand what the will of the Lord is. In Daniel chapter 11, uh, 12, verse 10, the wise will understand this purification and refining process. And that's what I'm here to do this morning is to help us better understand, to be wise as to what God is doing in our lives when we encounter these various trials. God is, is trying to, to get us to lean on him and watch him and trust him more. And brethren, we can't learn to trust God more as long as we are in a position we can handle by ourselves. It's that simple. One of those things which wise children of the living God must come to understand is that their raw, untried, untested, unfiltered faith must be purged and processed and purified. That that raw, untested, unfiltered faith that they acquire by reading God's word must be forged and formed and fully strengthened. It must be put through the fire of affliction in order to be tempered to become all that God wants it to be. Now listen, we understand this process in the physical world real easily, don't we? I mean, come on. We understand that gold and silver goes through the fire, gets out the dross. We, we understand the fire is necessary to make it stronger and purer. We're familiar with the fact of how a blacksmith fashions horseshoes. What is the first thing he does? Puts them in the fire. What does that do to them? Makes them more pliable. 
makes them more shapeable, makes them more moldable. Then he can work with them. Can't work. You take, you can take a horseshoe that hasn't been had up, and you can hammer on that thing all day long till your arm falls off, and you ain't gonna change it. The only thing that makes it more pliable, workable, stretchable, to get it where you want it to be, you put it in the midst of the fire. It comes out pliable. And then, then you gotta put it on the anvil, and you gotta hammer on it a little. Ever feel some days like you're getting hammered on? <laughs> That's okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe the better way to explain this is we're, we're in Oklahoma here. Let's talk about oil. That, that worked better than a blacksmith. Probably most of us are more familiar as we drive down to Tulsa or other places with oil, you know what they call refineries, right? I looked this up because I'm not from here, but figured I'd look it up anyway. The oil refining process where they take, guess what? Crude oil, that's like our raw faith, crude oil. You can't just take that crude oil as it comes out of the ground, put it in your car and make it go. It doesn't work that way. But they have to take this crude oil, like our raw faith, and they have to refine it into something more usable, more valuable. And it's a three-step process, and I thought this was kind of cool. It's a three-step process. The process, the first one, is separation, which is done at between 350 and 400 degrees Celsius, where they separate it down. Guess what they do to do that? They put the fire to it, the heat anyway. The second element of this three-step process is called, ironically enough, conversion, which I thought was cool. This is done at 500 degrees Celsius. And the third step is treating it, which is done at 370 degrees Celsius, at least when it comes to diesel. You know what all three of those stages have in common? Heat, fire. You can't take that which is raw crude oil and turn it into something valuable and useful that keeps you powered and moving and going towards your goal unless you got fire in stage one, fire in stage two, and fire in stage three. Can't be done. Otherwise, you got just a mess of old, gunky, black crude oil. Isn't that interesting? We must understand that whether we're talking about purifying or purging unrefined gold or silver, whether we are talking about forging or forming raw steel into something that's a lot more structurally strong and able to withstand force, or whether we're talking about refining raw crude oil into pricey petroleum products that keep us moving toward our goal, or whether we are talking about deepening, strengthening, and maturing our raw faith into something more precious, into something more flawless, into something more powerful on a daily basis, the process is the same in every case. Every one of those processes, those things must be put through the fire. The process stops without that. The process doesn't go on without that. It cannot be accomplished otherwise. And, and it's true no matter how, who we're talking about. Remember those great heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11? 
Now, I'm not going to turn and read through all of Hebrews 11, but, but I want you to, at some point, read through Hebrews 11 with this sermon and exactly what we're talking about in mind. Read through with this, this idea of the fact that without the heat, their faith never would have grown. If they hadn't had to go through the fire, none of those people would be in that great heroes hall of fame, we call it, on faith. None of them. But because they went through the fire and they learned to trust God in all circumstances, that's why they're commended for their great faith. Read it later on with this idea when it comes to Abraham or Sarah or Moses or Samson or David or Samuel or those mentioned in verses 33 through 38. They are in that chapter for great faith because God took their raw faith and he put them through the fire and he strengthened it and he formed it and he forged it and we read about them today as having great faith, and they were commended by God for that. But I submit to you, they never would have had that great faith if they had not gone through the fiery afflictions that every one of them did. Brethren, if you don't get anything else from this lesson, get this. We have got to understand that without such trials and afflictions, your faith, my faith, would never grow. It's that simple. Listen, why do you think it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle? Why do you think that is? It's pretty simple, isn't it? You got everything he needs, he can take care of everything he needs, he don't need God, basically. If you never had a problem in your life since your baptism, if everything was wonderful all the time, do you realize how little you'd come to depend on God and how much more you'd come to depend on yourself? If you could handle everything, you would. So would I. God knows that. So guess what God says? Okay, I want your faith to be so strong. So I'm going to start turning up the heat a little. And I'm going to start getting you in a situation or allowing you to be in a situation where you've got to trust me a little more, a little less of self. We sing that song, right? All of self, none of thee, that's the process. That's the process. God has got to heat things up in order to purge out imperfections. And one of our biggest imperfections is self-reliance. It's got to go. God has got to make us more pliable so that he can hammer us into his image, strengthening us and tempering us so that we won't shatter and break when we come into contact with destructive devices such as sin and Satan and self. Those are destructive forces. If I had a little glass knick-knack or a little bowl here and I took off with a baseball bat and I just hit it, it would shatter and probably those that cleaned the building would have a fit, understandably. That's why I didn't do it. Well, it's one reason. But God wants to make us so strong that when we come in contact, when Satan takes a swing at us, that we're not going to shatter. And so he, put, he allows us to go through the fire. But you know, here's the thing. Despite everything I've talked about this morning, and I know some people are going to say, well, you know what, you just don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't, but God does. And God also knows why you're going through it. And God put that in a book so that you could understand why you're going through it. I'm not belittling anybody's problems here. But what I am wanting you to do is look at it through the eyes of God, and it'll change your life. But despite knowing everything I've talked about this morning, 
And even despite being aware of the great and unfathomable love that God has for us, and, and every morning we gather around this table, every first day of the week when we take communion, and I, and I sit there and I think about what Kirk talked about this morning or, or others before him, other Sundays, I, I know God loves me. There's a lot of things in this world I don't know, but I know this. And despite the fact that we all know how much God loves us, Despite all of that and everything I've talked about this morning, sometimes we still almost succumb to the doubts that Satan is trying to plant in our heads. We, we wonder as we walk through some of these struggles that we have to walk through that, that seem so incredibly unbearable and we don't know if we can make it. We, we sometimes wonder and let Satan get to us. We, we wonder if God has maybe forgotten where we are. If maybe God has forsaken us, I mean, we know better in our heads, but man. Or maybe, maybe we let Satan get to us and we wonder if God has somehow failed in his assessment of, of knowing how much we can each take. And in times like that, I'd like to remind us all of one verse and a very familiar old illustration. You may have heard it a dozen times. That's okay, you can hear it again. Make this morning, number 13. Because it's a beautiful illustration. God has not forgotten. God has not forsaken. God has not failed in his assessment of what you can handle with his help. He hasn't. God don't fail. Here's the text. I'm just going to read it. You can make a note. Speaking of Jesus... It says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3, He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. That applies to us because we're a royal priesthood. That they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This verse clearly says that Jesus is going to sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, purge his people like gold and silver. And this is the old story that goes along with this. Probably one of those preacher stories. Don't know if it's true or not, but it makes a beautiful illustration, so pay attention. The story is told of a group of ladies who met together every week to study the Bible. How many have heard this? Really? Must be a northern thing. Okay, good. This is new to all of you. Let's do this. All right. The story is told of a group of ladies who met together every week to study the Bible. When they got to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, they came upon the third verse of the third chapter, which says that the Lord will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Curious about what this verse was saying about the character of God, one of the women volunteered to find out more about the process of refining silver before their next Bible class. Later in the week, this woman arranged with a local silversmith to go and watch him at work. She did not explain the reason for her interest but merely said that she was interested in the process. As she watched the silversmith working on a particular piece, 
he explained that the only way to purify and refine silver is to hold it in the middle of the fire where the flames are the hottest so that all the impurities are burned away. The woman thought back to Malachi 3.3 and remembered that it specifically mentioned that God sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. So she asked the silversmith if it, don't miss this, if it was important for him to stay there the entire time the silver was being refined or if he could walk away and come back later. The silversmith told her that he not only had to stay there, but that he had to keep his eyes on the silver every second. Because if it was left in the flames even a moment too long, it would be damaged. Intrigued, the woman asked how he knew the exact moment the silver was fully refined. When is the exact moment to pull it out of the fire? The silversmith smiled knowingly and said, that's easy. I know it's refined when I see my image in it. I know it's refined when I can see my image in it. As we walk through our everyday trials and fires and afflictions, we have to remember that our God, who sits as a refiner and purifier of silver, as was said of Jesus prophetically in Malachi 3.3, that our God is completely in control. Is the silversmith completely in control of when that comes out of the fire? Is he? It's not going to jump out on its own. He's completely in control, number one. Number two, that his eyes and attention never leave us. That's not just because it goes along nice with some illustration. What did God say in Hebrews 13? Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Did he say that? He did. But this illustration is one where, where the silversmith says, not only do I have to sit there, I cannot take my eyes off that silver for a second because if I do, it could be damaged. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how much it can handle. He knows exactly how long it can sit there without ruining it. Just like God knows you and I. <clears throat> and finally and thirdly, we must remember that our God through his divine purpose and faith perfecting prof process, which he is so patiently putting us through, is so that one day he can see his image in us. And that's scriptural too. Romans 8, 28 and 9, for example, says we know that all things, and that means the fiery trials as well as everything else, we know that all things work together for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Yes, even those trials, those fires, God can work them for good as he conforms us to the image of his son, or in other words, 
till he gets us to the place where he can see his own image in us. An image like Jesus that is fully trusting, no matter what. That takes time to forge. This is why James says in James 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work. In other words, let, let these trials and the patience you learn and, and the trust in God that you're slowly learning as you're being strengthened and forged and formed by God, let that do its work, James says. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It was the church of our brethren in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. <laughs> they didn't seem to want too much to do with anything being too hot or too cold. You know what God told them? Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed. God's not going to take them gold bars. That's not what he's talking about. He needs, they need to allow him to put, they need to allow him to put them through the fire so that they are purified and have white garments. They need to stop being neither hot or cold and let God do what he does by putting them in the midst of the fire so that they can grow all the way to heaven. God wanted those brethren in Laodicea to be of the same sort of faithful people that he spoke about in Zechariah 13.9. Listen to this. Zechariah 13.9, according to the ESV, says this. And I will put a third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. God said, this is what I'm going to do. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Who are these people that are going to say, yes, I belong to God, and whom God is going to say, that's my people? ones that he puts into the fire and strengthens and builds and empowers. Zechariah 13 and verse 9. But you know, there are some and there's always going to be some, and it's sad, and it's tragic, and it's awful, but there are always going to be some people, some Christians even, who choose, who choose. And that's the reason for this sermon. There's always going to be some Christians, sadly, who choose to see their problems and their afflictions not, not as a tool in the hand of God to refine their faith and make it strong enough to carry them all the way to heaven. They're not going to see them that way. Despite all these types of lessons, despite all of these examples, despite everything the scripture says, instead of choosing to see their problems and afflictions as God trying to refine their faith and strengthen them to get them all the way home to him, they are instead going to see their problems as a reason to blame resist and reject God. They are going to choose to let the fire of their afflictions harden their hearts instead of forging their faith, just as God spoke to in Jeremiah 6, 27 through 30, when he said, to Jeremiah, he said, I have set you as an assayer and a fortress among my people that you may know and test their way they are all stubborn rebels, walking as slanderers. 
They are bronze and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows blow fiercely. What's he talking about? The, the bellows that, you know, like, like blacksmiths use in the fire and the heat. He said, the bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain, for the wicked are not drawn off. People will call them rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. There will be some who will resist God's every effort to, to make them more pliable, to get them to understand they can't rely on them. Some people are going to reject it, and they, and they just, when they do, God says, well, I can't work with these. They're, 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 they're not going to allow me to, and they're not going to see their trials this way. And so God says, because they reject my efforts to strengthen their faith, and I can't do it, they're just not going to be my people. These are the people that kick against the goads, as it were. They don't want to go the direction that God is trying to take them by allowing them to go through the fire. They don't want to allow their trials to purge out the worst of their self-reliance and bring out the best in them that God wants. So the question as we close this morning is this, for each one of us to answer on our own. It's not, what are you going through this morning? Everybody's probably going through something difficult. The question is, how do you view your trials this morning? Do you see them through God's eyes or through human eyes? Because how we choose to see our difficulties makes all the difference in the world and can very easily make all the difference in eternity. How do we see them? Scripture clearly shows that these afflictions are all simply tools that God uses to purify and mold and strengthen and mature and grow and deepen our faith. And if all of us who indicated at the beginning of this sermon that we want a deeper faith, we want a more secure, solid faith, if we truly do, if we were being honest, then starting right now, we need to see our trials the way God does, as a tool whereby God is going to use those to strengthen our faith. Remember when nobody stood up? Remember, that was kind of a, you know, I set you up for this. Remember when nobody stood up? Y'all said you wanted better, deeper, stronger faith, right? Now God said, this okay, this is how I'm going to do it. So we need to understand the process. That's how we get it. That's how we get our raw faith processed. Anything else or less simply will not develop our faith into something strong enough to save us. Hebrews 10, 38, and 9. And so, choice is yours. How are you going to see your trials? The lesson is yours. If you are not a child of the God, uh, uh, if you are not a child of the living God, we would love to baptize you into Christ this morning as you repent and turn to him and then rise up to walk in newness of life. But if you are a child of God this morning and you've already done that, and you want that deeper, stronger, more mature faith that we're going to sing about in just a minute, but you know you don't have it now, and you need the prayers of the church to help you change your perspective of what God is actually doing when he allows you to go through these things, then I would encourage you to come forward, get the prayers of the church to help clear your vision so that you better understand why God's allowing you to go through these things. If you need to be baptized or you need the prayers of the church, 
Anything else that we can do to help you this morning? Please come forward right now. We're going to sing a song. It's like a prayer. We need to mean it right now as we stand and sing. <laughs>